0: sit back and relax, educate and inform, cozy conversations, drop the knowledge that's for real, In the Ghost Studio, always in the know, with Hermine Hartman you'll be enlightened, up and up. So welcome to another cozy conversation with Hermine Hartman. And my guest today is somebody who's really special. We're going to talk to Brian Smith. He's the director of Strategic Partnerships, at Chicago Theological Seminary. And he is doing some history on his school and his students and who's been there and kind of a movement, really, that started in Chicago before it went national, and uh, it's not a, I don't know what to say. I want to say it's a history that we know, but it's not a well-known history, right? And so you are digging deep uh, with people who were maybe behind the scenes or uh, not so applauded. Uh, So tell us about the project. Don Lee Foundation gave you a grant. So tell us about your project.
1: Well, we were very excited to lift up the members of the Civil Rights Movement who were very instrumental in making it come to pass. But perhaps because of the stars of the movement, we have overlooked their contributions. So at the Chicago Theological Seminary, we have a very special story in terms of how the breadbasket movement emerged which evolved into what we now know as Operation Push. As I mentioned to others, uh, Reverend Jackson affectionately refers to Operation Push as the unfinished project that he started while matriculating as a student at the Chicago Theological Seminary.
0: So we're talking about Reverend Jesse Jackson as a student, a theological student at Chicago Theological Seminary. Yes. And... uh, an assignment that he was given by Dr. King to, to do Breadbasket, to be the leader of Breadbasket, national leader of Breadbasket, and uh, how that developed and what it developed into and how it was organized. Yes. Right?
1: Yeah, and what's fascinating is that you could see Dr. King attempting to build a beloved community in terms of who he selected to launch the movement in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So he actually selected three seminary students, along with Reverend Jackson. Those students were not African-American.
0: And that was uh, David Wallace. And David Wallace. And Gary Massoni. Yes. So the the trio, the three musketeers, right? Yes. David
1: calls them the band of brothers. Band of brothers. And and it's just fascinating to see the genius of Dr. King saying, if we're going to be a movement, we've got to live into this thing. Mm -hmm. If we want racial harmony, we have to work together behind the scenes, as well as during the marches, so on and so forth. And so I had the marvelous opportunity to track down uh, the early participants. And uh, Donnelly funded uh, the opportunity for us to do the podcast. But as you well know, we had been working on this for years prior to the
0: opportunity. And I must say, I think in all full disclosure, uh, I'm a part of the podcast. Yes, I'm on the podcast. Are. I'm part of, of, of one of those who was, who was interviewed. So what have you learned? What have you learned as you have looked behind the scenes and really looked into history? What have you, what have you learned?
1: No great movement starts or ends with one person mm-hmm. or one personality. Mm-hmm. And I am beginning to learn more about the personalities and the individuals who decided to come together as a strong community on one accord. I'm also fascinated by the fact that these individuals were formed in communities. Uh, within the podcast interviews, we actually asked individuals to talk about their childhood.
0: Why was that important? Because you struck me, you threw me totally off my uh, my guard, my chair, I was totally blown away. I had stayed up the night before you did the interview, and I was getting my dates together bread Breadbasket and Expo and all of the activity. And then you're talking about what church did you go to as a little girl? And I'm like, wait a minute. That, where would that come from? But you were interested in childhood, the childhood of the people that you interviewed so you could see the development of them as people.
1: It's very important to look at formation. Mm-hmm. Too often we look at the final product, mm-hmm. but we are the total sum of mm-hmm. our experience.
0: How did you get here?
1: And I thought it was more important to teach young people that the civil rights participants, actually, well, they were, you, you were very young when you started, but, but people need to understand that they have the capacity to grow into greatness. And that happens through a combination of the commitment of the individual, and the commitment of the community. And so in each of the stories, including yours, I I wanted to examine the youth because even as we look at uh, when I was preaching the other day about Jesus being born within a context, Mm -hmm. being born with parents, and we underestimate the contributions that our parents, our uncles, our aunts, our pastors, our teachers Uh, Make in our lives
0: takes a village to raise a child Mm absolutely
1: and it was evident in each of the stories that I uh, uh, recorded in the podcast and in most cases people will focus on the highlights the marches the speeches and they look at the childhood as something that uh, is is, you know maybe boring or something that uh, really doesn't matter but we can see in our communities today formation matters
0: Formation definitely matters. Yes, absolutely, it matters. So you talked to Martin Depey too, right? Absolutely. And Depey was Minister. Depey was part of the ministerial group. Talk about because that's missing. A lot of people miss that. Talk about the ministerial involvement, the ministerial organization that was really the core of Bread Basket. Talk about that and what you what you what you have researched.
1: Yes, starting with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., as I mentioned, he was formed within the church. Mm-hmm. He got his early example of what a beloved community could and should be.
0: And he was a fourth-generation minister.
1: Father, yeah, yeah. Father, yeah.
0: Grandfather, grandfather, great-grandfather.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, Dr. King would want to, to try to reframe that in his model to build beloved communities all over the country. Martin Depi was a very special individual who, uh, indicated in the, in the podcast that it was prophesied that he would be a minister mm. at birth. And he was a white United Methodist minister who was transferred to the South side of Chicago in the Auburn Gresham community. At that time, the community was undergoing great transition. You know, African-Americans are moving into Chicago in great numbers and, uh, We were experiencing white flight, and uh, uh, neighborhoods like Englewood and Auburn Gresham were were in the sights of African Americans that were coming in and trying to find a better life. And so he talks about how this community went from being all white to all black almost overnight. And he goes into this Methodist congregation that experienced white flight. And he talks about his experiences— trying to maintain the staff, trying to maintain this congregation that suddenly becomes black, and that was the entry point for his opportunity to work in the breadbasket movement. People don't know that at CTS, ministers were gathered in the McGifford Hall to strategize on how they could deal with civil rights in Chicago. And so this movement started with the organizing of pastors who would then go into their pulpits and they would proclaim to uh, uh, their constituents that we fight for you. We, the pastors, fight for you. And so we we move away from this whole uh, inward focus to uh, 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 ministers being shepherds and fighting for the rights of the people that they are serving. And
0: fight for you meant what? And in those days, at that time, fight for you, what did that, what did that meaning have?
1: Well, the ministers organized themselves to be able to approach corporations mm-hmm. and any entities that operated within the African-American community. And they challenged them to be more than business people. They wanted them to be stakeholders, to actually show some concern about the people you get money from. Mm -hmm. And the ministers were there to actually negotiate and uh, educate because it it was a a multi-pronged process. We wanted to educate the business leaders about their responsibilities as well as the conditions of the people that they were uh, 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 selling goods to and then you give them an opportunity to understand how they could be better stewards serving in the black community. And the pastors took on that charge. They also took a theological approach to show them ethically and religiously why they should be good stewards supporting the community.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Depi has written a book on the,
1: the breadbasket
0: Bread years, Yes, breadbasket movement. And he was very qualified to write the book because he was the scribe. That's right. He was the one who was taking the notes and kept them, thank God. Yes. uh, So that he could reflect one day on the experience
1: that he had. He was a primary reference for me Mm -hmm. and an inspiration for a number of reasons. I don't want to give away all the details of the podcast, but he was the primary negotiator for Jewel Foods. Mm Mm-hmm. My father's an entrepreneur. He has a bakery, mm-hmm. and uh, we have our products on the shelves of Jewel Foods. And I realized when I met him that he was responsible for paving the way for my family to be able to do business with Jewel Foods. Mm-hmm. And to this day, Jewel is probably one of their greatest success stories.
0: So, in 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 the day of bread basket, the negotiations weren't just. Were, were equitable negotiations and so what it meant is jobs what it meant is contracts and what it meant for business people is product on the shelf of the stores that black folk frequent that were in our communities uh, that we thought we deserve i can shop at your store i should also be able to put my product on your store Absolutely. so you're talking about things like joe lewis milk you're talking about Your family's company. You're talking about um, Ebony and Jet magazine being sold in the in the jewel store. You're talking about hair products. So it's a whole slew of products. And then of course we had the at that time we had black banks. We had Seaway Bank and Independence Banks. We were talking about putting the money uh, in the banks. So it was a whole. It wasn't a thing. It was a schism of things that really build a community.
1: And multiple opportunities. So you, you mentioned banking, even the vendors that handle the cleaning and scavenger services. That's right. Uh, in one case, we know that uh, black contractors actually built a the store. The stores, that's right. Um,
0: Exterminated the stores. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Employees.
0: Employed in stores. Mm-hmm. A comm- so yeah. there was uh, something on television that I saw the other day that talked about those... Those things that were involved in Bread Basket, I think it was in a year, produced by $21 million.
1: I know that Martin Depi has very good figures or, or projections in terms of the uh, impact. Hmm. And yes, it was in the, the multi-millions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: So you talked about, you uh, looked at Gary Massoni. And you looked at David Wallace and that they, too, were solicited by Dr. King to join the movement. What'd you learn from them? Well, um, and Gary Masoni is is passed.
1: Yeah, bless his soul. uh, We had a very unique relationship. You know how you hear the term love at first sight? Um, We didn't know each other very long, but the time that we spent together uh, bonded us in a very special way.
0: He was a special guy.
1: Very special individual. And to learn about his early life, uh, to know that as a child, he looked at immigration policy, and he he lived in California. Mm -hmm. And so he had friends uh, of of, um, migrant workers that would come and work in the fields, and he would notice that they wouldn't go to school with him, and that bothered him. And he began to see the inequities at an early age. And mm-hmm. as I shared earlier, it formed him mm-hmm. and caused him to become concerned. And so Gary Masoni continued to work. Not Gary only,
0: grew up in California. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, he grew up on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what fascinated me about his testimony is how he took that into ministry, he worked for an international organization. Mm-hmm continued to do work for equity, for um, um, migrant laborers. And then, of course, it evolved and then went on to uh, get married. And, and um, of course, uh, because he's deceased, we had to interview his widow, mm-hmm. uh, Betty Masoni. And um, as he evolved and he, he came to Chicago, he wanted to continue that work of equity. And, and
0: it was for that reason he came to the seminary and joined— the movement, right?
1: Yes. There were a number of other factors that you hear about in the podcast. You don't want to give it all away, no, right? I don't want right. to give it all away. We'll
0: be right back. Hold your point. We'll be right back. This is Hermine Hartman, and we're talking today to Brian Smith uh, in a cozy conversation. We'll be right back after a commercial break. Small businesses are the pillars of our communities, and they deserve our support. The BMO for Black and Latinx businesses program provides that support by giving you better access to educational resources, partnerships, and funding. BMO has already made an impact by providing financing to more than 1,200 businesses throughout the Midwest. Business owners who are part of the program benefit from a wide range of tools, webinars, and coaching to help you focus on what you do best, and that's growing your business. Meaningful partner connections give you access to professional networks and alternative funding resources to help your business scale. And funding for your business comes with expanded credit criteria and competitive interest rates to help you obtain the working capital that you need to succeed. If you identify as a business or Latinx business owner, BMO Harris is here to help your business thrive and create capacity to grow. Learn more at bmoharris.com slash blackandlatinx. When a bank helps you make real financial progress, well, that's the BMO effect. This is Hermine Hartman uh, with A Cozy Conversation, and today we are speaking to Brian Smith about a wonderful, uh, wonderful podcast series that he has done. Uh, through the sponsorship of Donley Foundation with Chicago Theological Seminary, reflecting on the early days of Dr. King in Chicago, and the assignment of Jesse Jackson and Gary Masoni and David Wallace to the original organization, which was Breadbasket. So, Gary, you learned that uh, he saw migrant workers at an early age, and he saw the inequities; they weren't going to school. They weren't his classmates. What did you find with David Wallace?
1: David Wallace had an interesting background. Um, family was originally from Iowa, mm-hmm. and then they migrated to Texas. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to have this international soul. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done international volunteer work as a student, and um he went to, I think a West African country mm-hmm. and he uh, did some, some, some uh, peace Kenya, work there.
0: Went to Kenya. Yes, uh-huh. East Africa. Mm-hmm.
1: And I told him, man, you were formed well before you came to Chicago. Mm-hmm. You had an international perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, as a college student, he was deeply involved in, in international work. And this is what I, I'm talking about, Hermaine, in terms of looking at the entire formation of the human being. It wasn't the fact that Dr. King called them. It was the fact that God prepared them and called them first, and Dr. King recognized the calling that was already on their lives. So King
0: had an interesting way of choosing his staff, and he did it very well. Uh, as he handpicked those who might join with him. First of all, most of them were ministers. That was the core base. Uh, but then they all had unique talents, didn't they?
1: Yes.
0: They and were strong. They were strong men.
1: They were strong and they were different.
0: What did you see? What was the commonality that you found in them?
1: The commonality that I noticed throughout all the interviews was this uncanny commitment to humanity. And in each case, uh, you notice that these people at an early age decided that they would be committed in some way. Uh,
0: Did you see the formation of leadership?
1: Absolutely. uh, Particularly in your case.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, Of course you have deeply inspired me as a pastor because you shared your experience of your pastor calling you to simply read during the church service. And I do the same thing with the young people in my congregation, but I don't think that I drew the connection between their formation in their early years and the simple task of doing something like reading.
0: Reading scripture.
1: Reading scripture or whatever the case may be, bringing young people before an audience and challenging them, to be clear, cohesive, lucid, and present themselves Mm -hmm. as leaders Mm -hmm. at an early age. And so it challenged me as a pastor to be more proactive uh, in in calling young people, even if they seem to be shy.
0: Which they are.
1: Or if they don't want to do it, sometimes you have to give them a bit of a push. Mm -hmm. And so um, learning about how your pastor saw you saw the best in you early on, even when you made a bit of a mistake early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that pastor saw you like you talked about Dr. King, and the pastor said, I see something in this young person. And, of course, to see you now, uh, a successful media personality and business person. I've got to believe that that pastor, like Dr. King, was able to discern and to see the calling that was on your life. Mm-hmm. And take it and help to shape you.
0: Help to mold it. Absolutely. Push it forward. That's a very good observation. And it's, it's very real. Very true. Um, what, so, so with your podcast, as you develop it, you've got a unique something that you're going to add to it. Tell me about that. What is that?
1: The way we plan to roll out the podcast is that we want to take all six interviews...
0: There were six interviews.
1: Yes, total of six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jeanette Wilson, you, Hermine Hartman, David Wallace, the widow uh, of Gary Masoni, Betty Masoni, Reverend Jesse Jackson. That's five. Who are we missing? You'll Martin Deppi.
0: Martin Deppi. Yes, we talked about Deppi. So you're gonna how are you gonna roll them out? Those, so, those that's the that's the totality yes. of whom you interviewed. Okay.
1: So. What we plan to do is to invite a distinguished guest to listen in uh, for about 15 minutes with the public. We'll probably give them the entire uh, transcript, and then invite them into a podcast to have a conversation about what they've heard.
0: How interesting! So, who's invited for? Can you can you reveal the who you've invited? I can
1: tell you, or well, I'll tell you who I want for you.
0: And, I wanna yeah. know who you got. I wanna know all of
1: it. Okay, well So
0: for for Reverend Jackson you have whom?
1: Um I well let me hold up because I wanna oh. make sure that we make the invitation. Oh okay, you have yeah, okay, yeah. so we then that's a secret. Okay,
0: well then don't tell me. It's a secret. Don't tell me. Okay, so we're yeah. not ready for a full disclosure no. on that yet. Okay, now the podcast will be rolled out
1: when? We are looking at the late spring. As quickly as we can identify the potential guests.
0: Oh, of who will comment on already. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that should be fascinating.
1: So now I'm in the process of inviting the folk that I dream of inviting.
0: Now, will there be a visual, will there be a video of this too?
1: We did take video footage from each podcast, which we will use for promotional purposes. uh, And perhaps something can be done at a later time.
0: Like a documentary. Uh,
1: yeah, well, we know that uh, there is a documentary that's being formed
0: on Reverend Jackson. On
1: Reverend Jackson, mm-hmm. that's being uh, led by Yusuf Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps there may be some way that we can join together.
0: You, can, you, well, you got some footage. You got we great have footage. Tons of footage. You got yes, footage. It's great. So, how will the podcast roll out? Where 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 will we see the podcast? Where can we find the podcast?
1: It will be launched through the CTS medium. We will announce that mm-hmm. we actually have a medium uh, that we utilize to to do our podcast from the seminary, and you'll wait for that announcement. Okay. And uh, we'll probably go week by week. We'll probably go uh, through six weeks.
0: Okay, and week. you roll them out one by one. Yeah, that's terrific. what did you learn from um, Jeanette Wilson? Who's still with operate? Still with what has become Push Excel? She's the executive director yeah. of that and special counsel for Reverend Jackson. What did you learn with her podcast,
1: Jeanette? Who is like a big sister to me? Really showed me how you can be bold and be courageous as a woman in a male-dominated field and she talks about what it was like during that movement to operate among male preachers, some of whom maybe uh, looked at them as imposters. But of course, because this was a beloved community, there were many powerful women that were active and involved. And that's one of the things that I took away from her interview. Um, the The inclusive nature whereby women in leadership had the opportunity to take part in this movement. And uh, women uh, were, were at the forefront. Of course, you and I talked about uh, some of uh, the leaders who managed the uh, picket lines and, and uh, 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 were present and, and how scientific it was. I yeah. think sometimes when we look at movements today, um, we underestimate what the early movement entailed, how much planning Uh, how much precision, how carefully monitored. How
0: how strategic. Dr. King, I don't know if we give him full credit, but Dr. King was strategic as all. Absolutely. Get out. Uh, There was great strategy in how he did what he did, and uh, that's important. Did you see or did you gather as you talked to women, myself included, that there was... Sexism in the movement.
1: There were moments, uh, and um, Jeanette talks about it. Mm-hmm. There were moments where women had to remind men that they were human too, and they had brains, and they could be powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeanette talks about. Uh, Jeanette gave me a whole list of individuals who were involved, and and we women.
0: Don't know about it. women. Dr. Reverend Willie Barrow, you've heard yes. of her. Lucille Loman. Yes. Uh, Dr. Addie Wyatt.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. but she well, goes months. on. I think she read a list of at least ten women beyond those names that you just
0: gave, who were who were involved yes. in the movement. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and so as again, I, I work with her now uh, on a on, on a number of initiatives, and the one thing I remember her telling me, Brian, you know, when you look at young people marching now, it, it's a good act. But understand that marching is the last thing that we do. That's right. There's a lot of preparation, and, and that's our last resort. Yeah. And of course, you saw that with the breadbasket movement. They took the time to educate, to, to talk to the quote unquote adversary, to,
0: to give ne- them a chance you to know, negotiate. Like Jesus, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: repent, mm-hmm. for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, give folk a chance to understand why mm-hmm. you are angry. Why you want change?
0: What did you detect the difference between, let's say, the marching, let's say, the movement and the marching of the civil rights movement versus the movement and the marching of today? I would say, say the Black Lives Matter movement versus the King movement. You see, did you detect a difference?
1: I think, uh, of course, I, I don't want to uh, be critical. Uh, and, and, and certainly in both movements, there there was room for improvement. But I will say this, as Jeanette has uh, noted, we have to have an end goal. Mm-hmm. And we cannot be reactionary. Mm-hmm. We can't wait for abuse mm-hmm. or violence mm-hmm. before we launch our movement. And... I wonder sometimes what the end goal is. What What are we trying to do? So
0: one of the key differences is training. Yes. So before in the King movement, before you were allowed to go on to march front line, you were trained. Training meaning that there was thought that the policemen would be abusive with not only themselves verbally. But perhaps with dogs perhaps with water hoses perhaps in other means that you didn't know number one so it was like how do how do you maintain being nonviolent and everybody did not qualify so if you went through training and you didn't qualify i cannot withhold i cannot withstand i cannot be nonviolent i will fight back you were gone did you know that? Yes. You were gone. You were dismissed because it was like, we're not going to fight. We're going to be nonviolent. And whatever they do, God bless them. Let them do it. We will take it. And that is the way we roll. I don't, I don't think that happens
1: now. No, and, and I'm concerned about the reactionary nature
0: mm-hmm.
1: of our marches. Mm-hmm. And when you look at this, the earlier civil rights movement, you had the goal of obtaining economic Equity, mm-hmm. and of course, we, we we were clear about wanting to have uh, job opportunities, business opportunities, mm-hmm. and uh, a focus on enriching the economic wellness of the community. Also, the that,
0: the willingness to go to jail. The willingness that to was go the to end jail. game. Yes, it's like okay, we'll go to jail.
1: And legislation, mm-hmm. which stands to this day. Ultimately, that's yeah. right. That was the ultimate. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that we need to uh, evaluate what we're marching for, Mm -hmm. and then maybe do more prep work, certainly more education, which is one of the goals of CTS. Mm -hmm. We want to develop an institute and invite students to understand the case studies that we've already developed through these podcasts, through lectures, through the experiences that you might be able to share with us Mm -hmm. to teach a new generation Uh, Not only to respond, but to prepare. Mm -hmm. Preparation is a a major uh, point that we need to emphasize right now.
0: I tell students all the time, education is key to success. And it's key to success because what you go to school for is not necessarily what you will come out and be. That's right. But you will know how to be it. Right. Based on your educational training, your lawyer, you may not be a law, you may not be a practicing lawyer, but you may be something else that law, that the, that the law uh, experience. I'm a sociologist and a psychologist by training through my academics. Uh, but, you know, I do media and I, I practice sociology and psychology when I was teaching, when I was in, academ- in academia, but uh, You grow. And you change, and circumstances change, and grow. And and sometimes you have to rise to the occasion. Not that you were trained for it, but it, it might be a daredevil. It might be an opportunity. It might be an adventure. It might be an experience. Uh, Dr. King was a great lecturer. Dr. King was a great writer. There are five books Dr. King wrote. And uh, he had opportunity. He didn't go to school to lead a movement. Same here. You didn't go to school. You didn't go to school for it. So uh, that's, I think, another factor yeah. to be to be considered that it's a noticeable uh, difference. Well, congratulations to you. Thank you on the podcast series that you're doing. I think it's uh, it's admirable, and I think it it will be very noted around the world because the research that you've done is the original people, the people who were there from the beginning, the people who were the uh, the source for so much. And I think what gets lost as we talk about King, as we talked about Jesse, they were not solo acts. There were communities of people. Uh, they were church-based. They were faith-based, the Baptist church in particular. But they were also community-based. Jesse gathered a community in this city. King gathered a community in Atlanta. That went south. That came north, and so forth. And I think, uh, as we talk about that history, and those movements, sometimes that gets that gets fuzzy. Lost. It gets lost. It gets fuzzy. It gets myrtle, and uh, we forget. But that's the real root. Of the movement. And I'm so glad that you've done it. And I'm glad the CTS has done it. That's where it belongs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. My guest, Brian Smith, Director of Strategic Partnership at Chicago Theological Seminary, uh, has done wonderful podcasts. Not yet released, but to be released uh, probably this spring. We look forward to it. Thank you for being my guest. This is Hermine Hartman. Cozy Conversation, Indigo Studios.